coming up. Readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Zayadar and Zayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Okay, what's up, Order of the Garter? This is Stephen, your host with Phantology Podcast, along with my lifelong friends Ryan and Josh, talking about the second book in the Night Angel trilogy by Brent Weeks called Shadow's Edge. We just reviewed The Way of Shadows, which I think should have come out last week. Sometimes we get our recordings a little mixed up, but uh, here we are in book two, kind of rapidly going through and getting ready for the continuation on the trilogy with Night Angel Nemesis coming out in May. I think it's May. So Josh, Ryan, um, book one out of the way. How did book two compare? What did you guys think? Well, I'll go first with kind of a hot take. So you may remember that I was not super in on book number one. I didn't love it as much as I think Ryan and Steven did. But yeah, book you were two, like a kind of six out of 10 ish. I was at I six right. out of 10. Yeah. Like above average. Right. And if we factor in that it's the first published book that, you know, would raise it up um, in my opinion. But, you know, I, I, there's a lot that I didn't love about it per se, but this book, on the other hand, the second book, I really enjoyed. I thought it was a lot better than the first book in a lot of ways. Okay. So I'm. it's not like anywhere near a perfect book. I would probably, um, I don't know if we want to give ratings right now, but it would be definitely up um, like a point, point and a half maybe. And I can get into that. I think I have some uh, some reasons why for me, it worked a little bit better than the first. But um, overall, those are my thoughts about how it compared to my first. Ryan, in our review of The Way of Shadows, you were really positive. Like this is kind of a nostalgia series for you a little bit and you enjoyed the first book a lot. So how did the second book stack up? Did you also like it more than book one? Um, no, I think I'm going to go opposite of Josh. I think that it wasn't quite, I think that some of the the flaws in the plot structure are a bit more evident to me in this book. And so I think it's not quite as good as book one, but that's not to say it's not a good book. I still really enjoyed a lot of parts of it. And so I think that, I think if you like book one, then you're going to like book two. So in The Way of Shadows, our review structure was Ryan liked it the most. I was in the middle. Josh was at the bottom. Looks like Ryan and Josh are going to duke it out for who liked it the most. Because I don't think I liked it as much as either of you guys. I think, I, I don't think it was quite as good as the first one, to be honest. Maybe, I don't know, just like the expansion into the bigger world didn't, work for me quite as much and that's okay if it did for you but I kind of enjoyed the more contained story in one in one place and I just felt like I felt like there were a lot of places and ideas and things hinted at that weren't ever like fully explored and I get it like there's a third book and he's planning on writing even more in the world but it's maybe a little frustrating to me to get glimpses of places and factions and groups and they never really get fleshed out too much more than kind of like 
surface level, oh, these guys are the Aes Sedai and these guys are the children of the light type things, which was about as far as the descriptions um, I connected with some of the groups. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Um, unfortunately, just in those in those comparisons you just made, I think it's it's tough. Book two is a tough book in a trilogy, and I think a lot of authors fall into the fact that you need to do a lot of building to get where you want for book three. And I think yeah. this book is no exception to that. It, it's a little bit of a slump, and yeah, there there are sorry book one is just able to be a little bit more contained and then you have to expand and that expansion i think there are some growing pains okay so i disagree with you guys i think that um okay i I do get where you're coming from that like the expansion hurt this book and i'm not disagreeing with that necessarily but i think that while it expanded the world in a way that wasn't um maybe flawless i think that the storylines that it gave were a lot were a lot more in a sense contained like um there is a lot Wait, more don't... okay sorry i, I thought you were about to spoil it sorry go ahead i'm not gonna spoil anything okay. but i think that um for book one i think that there are a lot of different places and ways that the book went if that makes sense like there are a lot of time jumps there's a lot of situation jumps with kylar like uh you know going through his training um, I feel like that wasn't handled mm-hmm. super, super well because it, it kind of just felt like he was become becoming different characters like um, from one chapter to the next. And so those were kind of some of the issues that I had with the first book, as well as um, you, it still did introduce you to a lot of uh, politics and intrigue and stuff that I, I don't feel like was handled super, super well. It was handled well enough that it was compelling. But I feel like the second book, and we can get spoilers, but I feel like that there were a lot of really interesting storylines that felt a lot more cohesive to me and that worked uh, together to create a stronger narrative than book one, even if the world building, I agree, um, wasn't the best. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I think for me, I really love coming of age type stories and book one, we got that a lot. It was like hyper-focused on Kylar for the most part. And this, I mean, it was still focused on Kylar, but it did expand into a bunch of other characters and I do agree with you that I think overall there were more plot lines that were interesting than the straightforward, somewhat straightforward plot line in the first book. But for whatever reason, the even if it's flawed, a coming of age story just kind of gets me every time. And so I, I like the way of shadows for that mostly. I guess to me, this one felt almost more like a coming of age story because although, yeah, it did. The first one did have Kylar going from like a little kid into like a young adult. I feel like this one actually had him um, dealing with the ramifications of him being a young adult. And like, actually you saw that growth. Whereas the first book, it was more like, Oh, now I can have these abilities. It wasn't Mm -hmm. real. It didn't spend too much time on his character. Like, his mindset and his uh, how he was yeah. going to deal with these things. It was just like, Oh, now he's able, now he's like a fully trained assassin or what boy versus That's this fair. book. It's how does being a fully trained assassin, what boy, what does that allow for me to do? And what does, how am I going to square that those ethics within myself? Yeah. I think we could kind of compare. I mean, we don't want to do spoilers for other series, but there's a pretty natural comparison to Mistborn because the it's kind of a similar, you know, it's not as, Mistborn's not as dark, but there's definitely like a self-contained somewhat mission in the first book. And it's a really gritty kind of dark world. And there's a group of 
underworld thieves and assassins and kind of both. So, but I think that, yeah, in Mistborn, Vin deals with more emotions and is kind of a more fleshed out character. And, and Kyler is a little bit of a just kind of empty slate in the first book. Like he doesn't really deal with too much. He always seems to be, I mean, he, he, he deals with the idea of like, oh, can I kill these people? What's going to, you know, what, what is the ethical ramifications here? But it, it's never like weighs on him too much. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think the other comparison we could make is Name of the Wind, which is, again, my favorite book. And in Name of the Wind, Quoth deals with a lot of emotions and is just really wonderfully done. And again, I think the comparison there is, you know, Kyler just doesn't go through quite as much. So I don't know. I guess the the coming of age nature of the story still kind of gets me, but I do see the flaws now that you point that out. Uh, it's funny because the comparison I was thinking was more uh, Robin Hobb, Assassin's Apprentice and Assassin. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. Like, I, and I feel like those books, I mean, those, we're not going to spoil that series either. But I feel like that those books um, spend a lot less time focusing on like the actual abilities of the character and like, oh, now he can assassinate cool people, uh, people in interesting ways. Focus a lot more on, you know, the, like, what's this, what's, it's like a character study more than like a, yeah, like a young adult uh like YA movie script if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think I think that they're all, all really interesting and that this book I think it does carve out an interesting position for itself within the landscape of all these other books that we're talking about. I think it does a good job of that. And I'm surprised I don't know if I'm just like oblivious to it, but I don't really hear the series being talked about so much. Like I've been tangentially aware of it and heard mm-hmm. Night Angel talked about and I've known it was like Brent Week's book and stuff like that. But I don't know. I guess yeah. I'm just kind of surprised with um, the way it yeah. combines all these different aspects. Light, Lightbringer is definitely more popular for him. I like that we mentioned all these series because they're all kind of contemporaries to each other, uh, written around kind of you know the late 2000s. Actually, I'm not. I can't remember when uh, when the Fitz books came out. I feel like those might have been those were a little bit earlier. Those, those 2000s. were I think 90s. Were they late 90s? 90s? Yeah, okay. maybe late 90s. Hmm. But yeah, those do do a really good job of getting you into a character's head and like dealing with super intense emotions without it being boring, which is very challenging. I think that the flaws are pretty evident in this book. It's not really going to be something that somebody who's looking for like a book that's very like, I don't know, stimulating in, in terms of like in a literary sense. I think a lot of the fantasy is a bit more derivative and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just, I think it's, um, you know, simpler taste. And I, I, I do think that it is probably a book that's like much more appealing to like an adolescent a boy and in, in the sense that like, that's what Kylar is. The portrayal of women are uh, it's a little hard to to read just because you know it's they're very sexualized um, or their appearance I guess um, it, it's just I I think it would be a hard book for me to recommend to anybody because of those flaws it's like it it, it takes mm-hmm. I think unique uh, I don't know I, or just a person with a certain taste in order to to get past those 
I guess. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's funny because it's not even like there's anything super explicit that happens in the book. Like actual on-screen things is like PG-13. I know, that's the funny probably. part. Yeah. So well, except like, for the except for the violence, but yeah. Yeah, I I mean in terms of sexuality and stuff, mm-hmm. like I, I feel like yeah, mostly it, it it reminds me of like a PG thirteen kind of edgy uh, like young adult movie where it kind of like does take like low like uh-huh. uh, slow pans up like uh, the kind of like a you know, like a Riverdale situation yeah where, where like pans up the like, woman's body yeah, and like everyone's uh, linger, super yeah. like obsessed with sex but at the same time doesn't really you don't really see you much of it yeah. yeah and it's funny because yeah i agree like it's it's almost harder to recommend this to people like i feel cringe like i would feel more cringe recommending this versus something like the first law which definitely has like way more explicit sex scenes in it but or even like a song of ice and fire but those they're like handled like differently deals like with it's the like more adult, an adult topic in an adult way yeah yeah right not that any of those would be like you know, super pornographic or anything, but like they are, you know, there's more showing on page versus um, this, but it it does feel like it's handled in an adult way. Like you said. Yeah. I mean, we've seen game of Thrones and that was somewhat pornographic. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The TV series that coined the term sex to position, I think it was. Yeah. Rather than just a position. I think exposition, exposition, sex position. Right. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's, that's the one. <laughs> let's get it. I want to get into spoilers. spoilers. All right. Okay. All right. Let's let's do it. Okay. So um, the book starts with Kylar having retired to live a peaceful life and never kill anyone again with his beloved Aline, and they go off to this city called Carnivon, Carnivon, which is just kind of a, a little bit uh, a ways away from Scenaria. And of course, this is going to go great, right? Yeah, I, I, I like this because I, I, I feel like you usually have like the conclusion of like a trilogy and or like, I don't know, a fairly standalone book. And then the hero rides off into the sunset. And then, you know, for whatever reason, he's not content just being a farmer, right? something comes up uh-huh. and so th- this that's obviously the trope that that happens here but i like that it's handled like so early in the series that you know kylar he like tries to settle down but like he fails like pretty quickly obviously but i mean i think that the u- uniqueness of this is i guess the placement where it's only one book in and he's already like got the girl that he loves and everything's happy oh wait no it isn't yeah, it's interesting because again, I feel like this uh, sh- this was a very interesting way to take the series, because on one level, it shows just how much there was lacking in terms of, you know, the actual um, maturity and actual relationships between characters in the first book. I'm glad that that wasn't just covered up. Um, like it, it shows, okay, like now you have these two people that like should i guess be in love maybe because they're like kind of both infatuated with each other but haven't really had more than like an hour's worth of conversation since they were like you know seven eight years old nine years old or whatever so now they're like supposed to be married i think it does like a pretty believable job in how it handles that i yeah i think it's believable in the sense that as the reader you're like why are these people together because i mean I- just because they're both attracted to each other and that's basically it and circumstance 
I mean, they, yeah, they in, are in like circumstance entrusted yeah, right, to this. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yep. Yep. Um, so there's, there's some things keeping them together, but at the same time, they're like, their relationship is just so cringe and they're not honest with each other. And it just seems doomed to fail or, you know, require some really meaningful growth that doesn't happen for pages and pages. And we're just kind of like in the city and they're struggling and there's all kinds of teen angst. And uh, I don't know. I, I just thought that this was just really cringe to read, but, but at the same time, understandable for the I characters think, to behave in this way. I think as somebody whose favorite book is the name of the wind, there's a lot less teen angst and cringe Ooh. cringiness in this than there's like a few chapters I don't know if we should go there but there's, fine there's... With, no josh i'm fine with teen angst that <laughs> that always kind of adds to the romance and I, I think it's interesting but i just thought it was too cringy in in this book I, I don't know i think that there's like a few chapters of of him being like in the city where he's also dealing with like taking on his vigilante like night angel status i thought that yeah. that was an interesting like oh how is he gonna deal with this like compulsion to uh deliver justice with somebody who's like a pacifist i thought that was like an interesting take and it's kind of like if if batman had like a magical compulsion to actually go and be batman but at the same time like the person he was in love with like also was a pacifist and didn't didn't thought that he was doing what was like super unethical i think it was an interesting dilemma and i i I don't know i enjoyed that part i still think it's frustrating that i don't understand why eileen was such a crazy pacifist she's a a pacifist yeah, but like I mean, she grew up in the slums with Kylar and she's very religious. And yeah, it's I a think religious that, thing. That, that's, yeah, that plays a large part. And I don't know. I is. just don't see how anyone in this crappy world can really like hold to that type of belief too long. I mean, it is, it is a bit of like idealism. Also, I think that like the fact that they're both still virgins at this point in their life after like, you know, spending all that time like growing up on the streets and then Kyler's an assassin and all that. It, it's a little unbelievable. So, I mean, like, I, I think if you like, yeah, look at things that closely, it does, it does maybe um, take away from it a bit. But I, I kind I do, I do agree with Josh a bit where, where it is, it is kind of fun to see how like these, these two, teenagers like suddenly try and play adult and then running into all of these issues and you know i kyler at the end of it he's kind of like he realizes that the way they are now they're not really compatible i i do think along with what you're saying about the whole virginity thing i think that the one of the cringiest parts of the whole series is like the virginity as as a um, substitute i guess for like morality it's like, oh, Kylar can like go out and like be killing people unjustly, but because he like resisted Mama K's like, uh, you know, um, prostitute that he, she had for him or whatever, he's like an upright man. Like, it's just kind of, it is kind of weird. And, and um, also like the, that's like the main distinction. Like that's, that's the main difference between Vi and is that Vi like has sex and Elaine doesn't like, other than that, they're like pretty much very, very similar in their characters. Well, and I mean, the, one and is the fact a, that she's a wet boy. Yeah, one is but a like wet in boy, terms of wet girl. Yeah, but other than that, like the only thing they do is fantasize about Kylar and like how much they want to be with him. Why doesn't spend? I mean, it does get that to that point at the end of the book, but I wouldn't say she fantasizes the whole book about being with Kylar. She's kind of like 
she kind of I guess she does like have some of those teenage girl moments where she's like oh Kyler was kind of cute there and then she's like what am I thinking yeah but that's like everything that she does is like leading to Kyler's kind of cute what am I thinking like oh how can how can I position myself so that you see my butt like that's at the end of the book like what I was saying but I, I think during the like middle of the book you see a lot of you know Vi like I think her motivation is like interesting. She's like trying to get free from Hugh Gibbet, you know, this monster who has shaped her. But like, even mm. when she has the opportunity to kill him, she isn't able to. Maybe that's like, yeah, it, it kind of shows like the abuse that she's been through when like people who are in abusive relationships actually get like a chance to leave it. They're not able to take it because I guess they, they don't think that they can find something better. I guess my yeah I liked by as well as a character and not just because she's super hot <laughs> but I I think that the difference there is we in my maybe my frustration over a lot of the characters and in some naivete that I'm perceiving is it just seems like we're we're in this super grimdark world terrible stuff is happening the god king comes in and has a statue garden full of dead women in you know in horrible poses and like you know that's super super dark stuff like and and that's not you know the only the only time right like basically everything in scenario that we've seen is is not good and vi seems like a realistic product of that world and deals with it and she's not necessarily like a bad person but she's definitely a great person because she's dealt with a lot of crap but kyler and aline both Maybe Aline especially. I just struggle so much with these characters because they, they like they're in the same world, but they're not. But Aline grew but, up. Aline, Aline for most of her life was detached from that. On what's his face as a state where she was yeah. kind of being taught taught like the gospel of the one God and like how you know like and while he was a product. Well, of- Aline only she didn't grow up with the Drakes. She was, I mean, she was kind of she was friends with the girls. But she grew up as a servant. She's basically, yeah, right. She's well, servant, yeah, but so. she was a servant at the Drakes for most of her life. Like as soon as Kyler got no, her she out. was. I thought she was at the Jadwins. Oh, okay. E- either way, she she was like removed from the from most of the you know intensity of the slums and, and yeah, the, yeah. And I mean stuff. I I get that argument, but it just seems like everything else is so gray and dark and realistic with some characters, but then other characters are removed from that in, in ways that just seem kind of jarring to me. Yeah. She's, Aline is pretty one-dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. There's really not much to her. And, and that's why I was saying kind of like the only thing to her is, is her virginity. That's kind of what makes me, that, that was kind of the conversation, the, the point I guess I was trying to make about the Vi, the comparison to Vi thing is like, mm-hmm. The, the main focus of Aline is that she's a virgin, right? Which well, is just, I think her worldview, I, I don't think it's just her virginity. And, and I think her it's pa- her, yeah. her whole worldview and like how out of place it is. She's kind of like Count Drake, right? Yeah. But I mean, Count Drake has the perspective because he's been like a high ranking member of the Sakage and then like yeah. got rid of that. His, yeah, his backstory was also super interesting. Super interesting. And, yeah. I mean, I guess Aline functions to exist as somewhat of a foil to Kylar almost, or like a, a, you know, a motivation for him or, or an exploration into this whole good versus evil idea, but she just doesn't do anything on her own. But what's the, like the, the Bechdel test, right? That's, that's that yeah. thing where it's like, 
does this female character exist to do anything other than appeal to the mission of the man or whatever? Like, I would say no. Like, she doesn't really do anything on her own. Okay. So I, I wanted to, I did want to talk about the the narratives, like the actual plot of the book, which I thought was really strong. I, that's why I was kind of disagreeing with you about Stephen. Like, I think that the the looking back on the second book, because I'm about halfway through the third, I think that Logan like his plot line in the hole was really kind of compelling. And like, I, yeah, was, I, like, I agree. I, agree. I, 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 I thought that that was like a really kind of like forging in the furnace of like affliction moment um, of yeah. like, where are his morals? Like, where are those lines? So, and we can talk uh-huh. more about all these things, but I just wanted to kind of run through them. I thought that that was really interesting. I thought that um, Kylar, like the first kind of half uh, generally of him trying to figure out everything with the lean combined with, him figuring out that he was actually going to be um, the night angel and like delivering justice and then going straight into like, okay, well, how am I going to kill the God King and going on that mission? Like I th- thought that those, both of those narratives, like I think that the second was much stronger than the first, but I think that they both made sense. And then third with getting to know via a lot more, I think did add, even though like uh, we already talked about the issues with her character, I think it did add to the book and the, the how everything came together at the end was i think really interesting mm-hmm. and so i think those three kind of plot lines all were really strong and i think any one of them was kind of stronger than like most of the narrative plot lines of the first book in in my opinion so that's why i kind of that that's what makes me like this book more i think i agree with most of what you said. I like i like all of those things that you said more than the beginning i think the beginning of the book is the weakest and I mean, sure, maybe there's some cringe parts throughout, but I thought once you get past that first part, it it is pretty good. It it opens up into um some some interesting, especially the Logan part. And I thought the vibe parts were really good. I mean, maybe by the end when she's just kind of infatuated with Kyler, that's that is a little bit like, oh come on, you know, let's you know, yeah. let's let this strong independent woman be kind of strong and independent and rather than just love Kyler immediately. But other than that, I, also Kylar yeah. isn't that cool. Like, I could be do so much better than Kylar, <laughs> in my opinion. Well, I think I mean, so to play devil's advocate, Kylar is kind of like the first person, the first like man that she's been who's like or been around for an extended period of time who's like halfway decent, at least that we know about. Um, I true. mean, I think it. I think it does. I I, I like Stephen's mention though is like why can't we let Vi be strong and independent with like on her own, you know, without like suddenly yeah, just becoming infatuated with Kylar. I think, I think that is totally valid and would prove that, you know, Vi and Aline, they, I, I think they would just, I, I like what you said about the test. They, they would Aline more so than Vi just seems like her storyline just totally revolves around Kylar and her relationship with him and doesn't have as much substance on its own as Vi's does. But uh, yeah, Vi is is great how we, you know, we find out like her relationship to the God King and how she's an Orsul and she has the compulsion mm-hmm. on her that has like actually pushed her to kill Jarl, which is something we still haven't even talked about with is Yarl being set up as you know the savior and you're like you're like oh okay like Kyler's friend is going to be the next person of the next head of the Sakaga and then all of a sudden it was like ah no he's dead yeah 
just to play devil's advocate on on my take that Vi was a strong and independent woman, I mean, she's also kind of not, right? She's being compulsed by the God King and can't really escape that. And she also has so much, you know, trauma, psychological trauma that she can be manipulated pretty easily. So like she's strong in the yeah. sense that she can kill people and is very accomplished and can get out of a lot of situations just through physical prowess. But at the same time, she's not like stable or independent in that she's going to act and, you know, do anything on her own without being pointed in a direction. I mean, isn't everybody or all the teenagers pretty capable of being manipulated? I mean, Sister Ariel basically like points by, lets her run off and then is like, oh yeah, Kyler, like lies that way you know she just kind of like directs both of them and and then they just do exactly what she i mean she yeah. she yeah. is an, she is an eye so what do you expect yeah she's she's the Mo- moiraine of this book <laughs> yeah basically yes yeah let's go back to jarl though because i think i said it after the first book i was like jarl's awesome he's really interesting and and very capable and seems like he could be someone of the future of the sums of scenario and him dying was honestly pretty surprising because i thought this character had a lot of potential but he he just dies yeah that was pretty brutal i i I kept i kept waiting for the fake out death for jarl no not not in this case yeah not in this case yeah it's i think it was good because like kylar and friends had like plot armor up until this point so yeah it's it's good that jarl died I mean, uh, sorry, I, it's not good that you're all died, but I think it's good that it, it's a bit, it makes it a bit more real because in the first review, mm. we talked a little bit about how the world is very grim, dark, but the characters are almost like contrasting. They're like a contrast to that. Cause like the characters on the stories don't necessarily seem like they would fit in such a dark world. If that makes sense, where like these events are happening where the God King is like actively taking sisters and like you know people they love and like you know sexually mm-hmm. assaulting and whatever worse things doing to these girls and then letting the lady jadwin turn them into statues just to name one example um so like i i guess it's like an interesting the characters and the world are a strange contrast that i can't really think of another i'm sh- i'm sure there's other books but i can't think of one off the top of my head that does that the, see the the issue is for me like is this intentional or is this kind of i don't know that that's why i keep going back and forth yeah like, on, on if it, this is like the juxtaposition is intentional or not that's fair i think i agree with you that jarl dying kind of did a lot to make the stakes seem real like our characters can actually be affected by all the darkness in the world look here is someone that you like that's been killed by someone else that you kind of like i mean at that point maybe we didn't really like by as much but you grow to and so this seems like something that would happen in the grimdark world but then at the same time all the credit that you know like that was raised with jarl dying i guess the more believability and the characters you know it, it all went goes away once durzo's like hey 
I got one more chance at life. Did, did did you were you just thinking of me like Ryan when when I was saying that in the first book? How like it was just one too many fake out deaths where you're just like, oh, just wait until the end yeah, of the I was second like, book. I was like, Josh is gonna love what happens. Oh my gosh! To her, so I, oh, you you took away my rant on it. I was gonna go I hard. Like, but... Well, sorry. Well, you could you could still go no, into a rant. I, on I, it. I, I might still, but I wanted to go back to, okay, so Vi Killing I mean, Joel, I feel like, honestly, I feel like you need to read the third book before you can come to a full conclusion. No, on... no, I was thinking about that. No, screw that. We give... <laughs> okay, wait, do you want, do you want to wait, go into your rant okay. now or do you want to continue with the okay, Jarl uh, thing? Rant now, just because I, I was going to go back to the Jarl thing, but that comment. Okay, yeah, pause, no, no, no. Josh pause. rant happening now. Josh rant, no. Okay, a fake out death is a fake out death. No matter, like, if it's like, if there's a purpose behind it, like have it be like foreshadowed that it's going to be a fake out death or something like this is just like, uh, you go through a well, whole, isn't book. it? I mean, Tyler comes back from the dead. Derzo has gone through similar things. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. But the whole thing was that he wouldn't have that anymore. Like it, it just completely like takes away the impact of his like sacrifice in my, in my opinion. And like him giving, that gift to kylar like i i just feel like it completely like undoes like all these mm. you know like not only like it does it undo the stakes but also undoes the impact of um of of his character arc so far you mean you think that if derzo knew that he was going to come back to life he should have like maybe we should have guessed that that was the case based off of how he was acting before he died yeah <laughs> I, I don't know. Like to me, fake out deaths are always going to be problematic. If you, if the reader is like, is led to believe firmly that a character is dead, then there has to be a really good reason to bring that character back. And it has to be done in a really delicate way and not just mm. a note at the ending of the following book that, Oh, I'm still alive. It has, I don't know. What do I'm, you think about, really I don't want no, no spoilers for other series, but what do you think about the way that Brandon Sanderson does some I, I think fake he, out deaths that are kind of in similar parts of the I, books? I think he rightfully gets um, a lot of flack for that on like on a lot of subreddits. I think a lot of people don't like it. And I think that some of the ways he handles things, okay, like with the way that he handles the fake out death in the Stormlight Archive, I'm trying to keep things very vague, but yeah, that's I think what you know I'm referring to as well. Yeah. I think that that one was done pretty poorly. I think that the quote unquote fake out death in the Mistborn series is done a lot better because it has an actual, like that ties into like the whole magic system of the whole Cosmere and the impact isn't lessened because Mm -hmm. the impact on the characters isn't taken away. Like I'm trying to keep very very vague generalities but do do you kind of can you kind of see what i'm saying like it's yeah, not like yeah. yeah yeah it's not like oh now the characters don't actually have to deal with the impact of that death because that character just now comes back to life you know what i mean like I, i'm trying mm-hmm. to keep things very general but so there's like two kind of examples that are okay thrown out there. i interrupted your rant so you can okay. continue so yeah I don't know. I mean, maybe I won't go on that big of a rant, but Already I feel like this is took, this is took, like text away that esteem from you. I, I guess no. This is like just the textbook way of not to handle a fake out death. It's like a 
okay, this character is dead. You are told they are dead. You are told that characters go dig out the grave and see the body. You are like uh, time after time after time, you are told that they are dead. And then just randomly at the ending of the second book, you get a note saying, oh, nope, I'm still alive. Like, come on. That is like the textbook way not to handle a fake out death. Something like Harry Potter. I guess we can do spoilers for Harry Potter. Yeah, I think like, Harry Potter's fine. I dies. was actually thinking, I was thinking yeah, of- That's a fine fake out death. He dies, he goes and learns something. He comes back. Fine, whatever. That is what it is. And it, it ties into the whole Deathly Hollows. Like he put together this whole magic system that made a master of death. Like yeah, Harry dying is a textbook way of how to handle a fake out death like properly. And maybe I guess the, the, the way that, yeah. that Harry Potter should not have done it, which, you know, they didn't was if Dumbledore came back to life. Yes. Yeah. That would have been, that would have cheapened his death. It would have cheapened the impact on his death on all the characters, all their characters going through like two whole books of grieving would have been for mm-hmm. not. And it would have been made Dumbledore seem like a bad guy. And I guess you, okay, well, we're only doing spoilers for the second book, but yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I feel like I've ranted enough. Um, that was the, by far the dumbest, stupidest part of the whole book. I think that criticism can be applied to other things too. I think, that weeks has a lot of really cool ideas that feel rushed or the execution isn't quite right and the part mm-hmm. the example that i keep coming back to is the reveal that durzo is a Kalis thorn at the end of book one where he signs it eighth thorn and then kylar's like oh yeah was it dorson alkesti's buddy named a Kalis thorn oh yeah so Durzo is probably a Kalis Thorn. Like, I just, I think that was like anticlimactic. And I think there's more examples in um, in book three, especially that I, I can talk about, but I'm not going to because this is book two. I, I, Thank you. I, there, are other one, <laughs> there are other ones in book two, but I'm blanking and I can't think of them right now. But my point still stands. Cool concepts executed poorly is is a tough thing to overcome and i recognize it more on my reread reread now than i did on my first read the good thing is i feel like in lightbringer he does a lot of these things better like the twists are better they're really shocking the characters go through a lot of cool growth there's everything i just like everything is more interesting in lightbringer which is why honestly ryan i'm, I'm still surprised that you don't like um, lightbringer as much as night angel so this gives me a lot of hope that night angel nemesis is really good um i think it can be i think the world is really interesting and the characters are there and so if weeks can come back to this world after five books that i thought were all really good and like lightbringer is definitely a series that i would recommend without uh, the qualms of, of that we talked about recommending night, night angel so i guess this is just kind of a tangent tangential way of me saying like even though i didn't necessarily love this book or the night angel trilogy i thought it was maybe just kind of like an okay average trilogy i do think that the reboot with night angel nemesis has a lot of potential i agree i think i think kyler is better than kip i think i said that in our last review but i, yeah. I didn't really like kip that much as kip, kip was kip was annoying especially yeah. in the first okay can i go back to the jarl thing the jarl death yeah okay, yeah let's as long as you don't death. rant about fake out deaths i guess <laughs> okay it's kind of my issue with the Kyler or with the Jarl death is the way that it's reframed at the end was that she had like no choice but to kill him. And um, because of the compulsion from the God King, like, and that was kind of, I mean, I get that it was kind of foreshadowed. Like she was trying to put the arrow down, but it like slipped from her hands. Jarl to me, that's like what makes the series like not grimdark really like you never really blamed her 
for Jarl's death. Whereas I feel like it, it would have been a more interesting character to have to deal with like, okay, sh- this character just like knowingly killed her friend and character you like. And like now let's, it's going to be harder mm-hmm. to make her sympathetic. But once you do make her sympathetic, then it's going to be much more satisfying. Kind of like Jamie in um, A Song of Ice and Fire. Like here's a character that starts off kind of like the being, you know, the worst you can be. Like, you know, um, having sex with his sister and, and like pushing a kid out of a window, like starting off super bad. And then like slowly George R. R. Martin puts the work into redeeming him. Like I feel like to, mm-hmm. a, to a lesser extent, that's kind of how Vi was like kind of meant to be. Like here's this bad character that now is slowly being redeemed. But like, it's like, she wasn't really that bad because she was being like, find out that she was just being like having compulsion used against her for most of the time. So I kind of wish that that wasn't leaned away from as much just to make it easier for, to accept Vi as like a quote unquote good person. I mean, in the third book kind of leans into this type of idea even more, but again, we're not uh, reviewing the third book. The more I think about the characters, the more I think that there was an attempt to make them gray characters, but most of like the protagonists aren't really gray characters. They have like really at their core, they're all good people in bad circumstances rather than like Josh was saying in game of Thrones, there's some legit bad people in bad circumstances. Right. Then we realize, you know, maybe if we look at them in another light, they're not as bad or they're doing some things that are somewhat good or we can justify their actions that are bad from one perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing about Vi though is she sets out to kill Kylar to try and save Jarl. Right. So it's like, she is, she is bad in the sense that she's trying to save somebody, but still killing somebody else who isn't necessarily bad. Yeah. But she never does any of that. Like she doesn't kill Kylar. And, yeah that's true I, I mean you know what i mean like that that's the thing is those things are set up but like you never actually have to deal with her doing those things which i feel mm-hmm. like would have been much more interesting from a character type perspective like yeah. and again going back to lightbringer oh what's the what's the main uh the grandpa gavin andros andros like there's a gray slash bad villainous okay, character all right let's but no just very compelling I don't know. Like, I'm not saying he doesn't. Yeah. Like, if he, I feel like he just, like, Andros is kind of like a huge question mark. Yeah. You know, you never know which way he's going to go really until the end. But just that was so expertly done that, again, like, I think an Andros type character that, like, actually gets played out like Andros does, like, not, not in terms of like specific plot points or anything like that, but just Mm. like somebody that you know is like, they're, they're going to do what's best for them. And you know that, like, and whatever that is, like, would work really, really well. Type yeah. yeah. I remember you saying, Ryan, in our first review that Brent Weeks said he wanted to try more in the light, in the Night Angel universe, but didn't think that he was skilled enough as an author or, like, wanted to hone his craft a little bit more. So ended up doing, ended up doing Lightbringer and now he's coming back to it. So, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe he identified that as, like, look, I have the super dark world. It's really compelling. But it's tough to write these characters that all, that fit the world as much as they need to. So Lightbringer's not quite as dark as a world. I mean, it's still kind of like your dark medieval world, but it's not, you know, there's not nearly the level of atrocities that we have going on in Night Angel. So maybe yeah. he's kind of leaning that direction and now he's going to try to come back to Night Angel. 
Yeah, I mean, I as far as I know, he didn't say exactly what reasons he um, felt like he wasn't good enough to write the next novel in the world. I think that would be an interesting mm-hmm. question to ask him. Like, why yeah. did you feel you weren't ready when you finished Beyond the Shadows? I think that's the third book. And why do you feel like mm-hmm. you're ready now? It would be interesting. And I, I feel like, you know, most authors, like, you know, they're professionals, they're level-headed. Like Sanderson did this video with Murphy Napier that I watched today where that he was talks cool about one. his books. And he he's like, look, this book was not as strong as the other ones because of these reasons. I really struggled with it. And I think he recognizes, and I'm sure he's like reads reviews and tries to hone his craft, right? So I think any yeah. author worth two cents is going to, yeah, try to figure out how they can be better. And yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, anyway, we got kind of distracted. Let's come back to the Logan plotline because I thought this one was pretty cool. And Logan was a really compelling character. And the end where he goes into the hole, uh, that was a highlight, something that I remembered from my very first read of uh, The Way of Shadows. So him now just dealing with his humanity and figuring out to what level he's going to go to survive is pretty interesting. On the flip side, I thought maybe he's just kind of like there for a long time without a ton of advancement. Like they try some things, don't really ever make a ton of progress. Eventually Kyler rescues them. Maybe it would have been nice if he got out on his own somehow. And then Kyler kind of like bumped into him as he was already on his way out because, you know, that maybe makes Logan a little more capable, but I I thought his whole survival story and befriending and becoming like the leader of these savages and then how it became important for the battle at the end when the homunculus thing was like composed of his former friends that that all tied together really well like that narrative arc was very well done for logan which i think was essential to have happen in book two because and no spoilers for book three but though like logan you wanting logan to you rooting for logan is really essential for three from um, about mm-hmm. halfway through it and you need to be like logan in book one was fine but he wasn't really like there's no reason why i would be rooting for him to be king versus you know, he was really pretty one-dimensional else. in the first book yeah. he's another kind of like a idyllic virtuous character in the yeah. first book that we maybe had a harder time getting behind because he just doesn't seem realistic but now he seems like he's gone through it yeah. so is much more developed how do you think being in the whole changed logan like in the sense that at the end of the book it's you're wondering like how is this whole conflict going between logan and tara like how's it going to resolve and then logan ends up like surprisingly just like bending the knee and like letting mm-hmm. tara become queen because it's not gonna it, it's ultimately that's what's better for the kingdom do you think that would have changed if Logan, you know, had, if he hadn't been through the hole, do you think he would have just decided like, like he would have he married, would have married if he had, he would have married her at that point. Yeah. Or just been willing to like declare himself King and then let everything, you know, break loose. Maybe not. I mean, I, I just think that it really showed him that like ruling over nothing isn't important, like isn't important. It's about how you rule and how you like position yourself to rule. That's like, going to be important i think that that's kind of the what the whole taught him and i think that was pretty important for that scene his choice is interesting because and maybe it's 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 probably intentional by weeks because it seems like he's making the same mistake that his father made 
right? Because at the beginning of the first book, his father decides not mm-hmm. to um, depose King Gunder or depose Gunder. So then Gunder becomes the king and then ends up making a bunch of bad choices. Kind of, except his father goes through with the marriage, you know, the loveless marriage, right? And Logan decides he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, that's true. I guess either way, he would have been making a decision kind of like his father, either the loveless marriage or like mm-hmm. bending the knee to save like bloodshed now. I could see an argument saying after Logan came out of the hole and everything he went through there, maybe he should have been a little more hardened and been like, you know, screw it, Terra sucks. I'm going to become king here and I'm willing to make these sacrifices. But yeah. I think that him going through the whole changed his character enough where that decision is compelling to previously would have been like, okay, here's this honorable dude. I'm sure he'll just do whatever's honorable. Like this is not an interesting situation, but now since he doesn't have that quite as much, the reader is a little more intrigued as to like, okay, how is he going to approach this? Cause this is a tough situation. What is his honor demand? What is the, what's best for the kingdom? What is the character going to do now that he's kind of seen some crap and, I think that goes into that's really important for book three with some of the choices that he has to make there. I think the last um, important thing that I wanted to talk about is the rings that that Kyler buys for Aline. Oh yeah, how did we not talk about that? I think I liked I liked the ending. I'm just gonna say where Vi has to ring Kylar in order to break the compulsion, even mm. though it's I guess that is kind of seen as you know, uh, similar to rape because you're forcing somebody into this like emotional bond that they might not, uh, so this I magical th- bond. I think that this was a very strong point of the book. I think it was well foreshadowed. It was one of those like standard lounge moments of like the, oh, you you should, you see it coming like right before it happens. Like everything clicks into mm-hmm. place and you're like, oh dang, yeah, this is of course what's going to need to happen yeah. in, in this moment. It was a really good Chekhov's gun with the rings. Yeah. The, the one kind of criticism i have and this is going back to like comparisons to wheel of time is like it's so similar to i'm not saying water bond yeah yeah i don't want to spoil things but yes um like it's so similar to it right where Mm -hmm. where a certain protagonist main character throughout we don't need to even say that we just need to say that like it's really similar to the water bond and some things that happen as a result yeah something and and how yeah the violation that yeah. characters feel yeah it's just uh, to me it's just with all the other kind of comparisons to the wheel of time that pop up throughout this book it, it felt i don't know maybe that's just me reading into it because i really really yeah. did enjoy that how how that went down it was really interesting and and well i could see that but honestly like i'm okay with plot yeah. devices being okay. reused yeah. as long as it's not as long as it's okay. not too on the nose and yeah i mean i did complain before like oh there's the acidite there's the children of the light and it does seem like those factions are really similar they're just not as explained enough so i think you can complain about it and kind of joke about it but at the same time i don't think it's a it's a real big deal i think it's fine like there are so many plot devices that authors use like there's no way to come up with an entirely unique thing mm-hmm. yeah it just felt okay all right fair enough so i think we can all agree that in this context it was we we liked it yeah yeah yeah, I thought it worked really well where she had to, you know, the, the, all those events, right? She had to break the compulsion. She kills the God King, the homunculus thing. I think that's what it's called. Um, is Ferrali? Oh, Ferrali. Right. Okay. Maybe there's another thing called the 
homunculus. They're both kind of like Frankenstein moss. Yeah, the thing out on the battlefield. Okay. Right, for Ollie. That's that's probably what it's called. Um, you know, that loses he loses control. Logan's then able to take over because of his connection there. And then Kylard is dead, but he comes back really fast and he stops the God King's death curse. Like those events, bam, bam, bam. That was cool. That was really well done. And pretty similar to the way that the Wave Shadows ended in terms of just like really exciting ending events happened all pretty fast. It all ends up, we end up going back to the throne room and scenario once again, which maybe is something that you could nitpick. Like it would have been cooler to maybe expand a little bit or do something more unique. But yeah, I thought the ending was was all in all in all really good. Nice. Yeah, I agree. What do you think of the uh you are not my or I am not your father, you know, Star Wars fake out I, there. I thought it was like a funny I thought it was it was funny, but then I think Gareth or Sewell being like, ha ha ha, you thought you were actually my son. I thought that was like I think it would have been funny to like let the reader and like Kyler think that and then um and then like turn it on its nose or like I don't know do something else where it's not like just just so like blatantly said I guess yeah I, I don't know I don't know what do you guys think about it I feel like you guys think it was it was I think it was a little cringe but also kind of funny like it's obviously memorable enough for me to mention I thought it was fine as a reader you're kind of like you're like oh no like is Kylar like yeah it does kind of lead you to think that for a while because it's like the mystery of his parentage is hinted at a little bit yeah what does Azoth mean why does he have a cool name when everything everyone else is named rat and doll girl right (laughs) yeah that's true and then I mean at this point you're like you're like oh my gosh that makes perfect sense because you always expect like oh an orphan doesn't know his parents like his parents are going to end up being like the king or, you know, right. You know, somebody great. And that's something that I had forgotten on my read through. <laughs> All right. I my feel like, uh, I feel like that wraps our view of shadow's edge. Wait, wait, wait. Any... I want to go. So oh. I, I just want to rank them out of 10. Okay, so yeah. last time I gave, I gave the first book a nine out of 10. And I think you guys both gave it, I think like a seven I did seven Josh did six okay all right um so I'll start I think I gave the first book a nine out of ten I think this book is an eight out of ten I interesting I think it's a seven and a half out of ten so it's funny that like I'm still ranking it lower than you even though I liked it more in the first book but yeah yeah (laughs) anyway okay fair enough um I'm gonna go to 6.5 out of 10 I feel like you guys kind of talked me up a little bit through through the conversation all right. I probably would I probably would have been like six going in, but I'm going up to six point five. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think it's good. And part of that is my nostalgia is is part of my enjoyment. Once again, I've said this before, but I I I'm I'm much more aware of the flaws in this and I think I still enjoy it in spite of those flaws. As uh I feel like that's a line from uh Patrick Rothfuss to love something despite its flaws that's true love right okay steven yeah that, Rothfuss, I'm pretty sure pretty sure that's in one of the books i i like that line all right well put it in your book and then credit me at the end no i can't steal his lines i gotta come up with my own things for my books <laughs> no that was my line i did it first all right that's a wrap for our review <laughs> shadow shadow's edge 
Um, we'll wrap up with Beyond the Shadows probably next week since I think we're all pretty close to finishing it. And uh, nice job, guys, not doing any spoilers for the third book, uh, even though it's so fresh. I feel like we did a pretty good job with that. Nice. I mean, Ben's not here, right? Yeah, well, well, we just spoiled every other major fantasy series out there, so, you know. Yeah. No, we didn't. We did comparisons, but we didn't say anything specific other than Harry Potter, but I mean, come on. Harry Potter's fine. All right. See everyone later. Bye. See you. Bye.